Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you from socially distant locations at Lambeau Field. And we thought we were going to focus this show on Matt LaFleur's season-ending news conference. But at the time we are taping this on Thursday morning, that has not yet occurred. So, and there are reports out there of some potential coaching changes on the staff and whatnot, but we are going to hold off on that discussion until we do hear from the head coach and possibly from general manager, Brian Gutekunst as well. So we will table that discussion for now. And it's probably a good thing because there is one significant uh, topic that uh, we have not yet discussed, Wes, um, mostly due to timing of our shows and the NFC Championship game. But about a week ago, general manager, former general manager Ted Thompson passed away at the age of 68. And uh, you talk about a man who left a whale of a legacy at 1265 Lombardi Avenue, a legacy that was still being felt with the 2020 team and the players that he acquired. Um, it's uh, It was a sad, certainly a sad time to hear about his passing, but, uh, but also a lot of, a lot of really fun discussion and celebration of, uh, of what was uh, really an iconic figure in this franchise's history. Yeah. An iconic figure, Mike, that I also don't think ever really got enough credit or enough due uh, for everything that he's added to the organization, to, to all the winning that has come after it. And the fact that there's only four Lombardi trophies down there in the players lobby and, and Ted Thompson in his work uh, as the Packers GM, during those first five years, uh, helped put that trophy there. He made the biggest decision, I feel, in pro sports history. Uh, I don't know if any other general manager, I'd be interested to have a debate with people about any general manager that had to make a more difficult decision than what Ted did in the summer of 2008, where you have not only just a future Hall of Famer, not just a three-time MVP quarterback, but a guy that really was the face of the Packers resurgence in the nineties. And you have to make the decision to move forward with your draft pick with a guy that you took that raised eyebrows three years earlier. It was the ultimate wager. And it wasn't just a wager of his job, right? It wasn't just that Ted Thompson said, okay, this is the guy I'm going with and whatever happens happens. He would have went down in infamy among Packer fans, if that move didn't work out the way it did. Right. The stakes were so high for Ted and he put it all on red and red is how it came up on the table for Aaron Rodgers to not only follow a pro football hall of fame quarterback, but then become arguably the best player to ever play the position in the national football league, the most talented, the smartest, the, you know, soon to be three-time MVP. Ted had to make a really tough call. And as I said, and I, I tweeted it, and I've mentioned this in some of our insider inboxes, not once, Mike, in the 10 years that followed, did Ted ever go before a microphone? Did he ever say, hey, yeah, good I call on my so. part. Right. He right. was all about the team. He was all about the organization. And he made a decision, Mike, that set up the organization for 12 years of success. That is what has followed. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the phrase that I had used um, in Insider Inbox, I put it in the headline, was that he personified stewardship. And uh, he really felt 
that his his duty as general manager of the Green Bay Packers was to be a steward of the franchise, not only of the roster and the football team, but uh, really of the organization as a whole, of the position that he held to, uh, as you had written about, to continue the, uh, the, the prestige of being the general manager of the Green Bay Packers and all the responsibility that goes along with that. And I think I think the, uh, um, you know, we, lots of, lots of past comments that, uh, that, you know, you and I were digging out from people that, that knew him so well. And I think one of the, one of the best ones was from uh, John Schneider, who worked under Ted as a personnel executive here with the Packers. And then of course has gone on for several years to be the general manager and built, you know, help build his own Super Bowl team with the Seattle Seahawks. But he always talked about Ted as both doing it the right way, but also doing it his own way. And um, we heard a lot about, you know, integrity and character and everything that was part of the, the man of Ted Thompson in terms of always doing things the right way. Um, never any flaws or blemishes in that regard, but also, but also doing it his own way. He, he, he felt he made decisions that were in the best interest of the Green Bay Packers. It wasn't about trying to be the smartest guy in the room. It wasn't about trying to, um, you know, trying to, to bolster his own reputation or legacy in any way. It was always about what was best for the team. And that's what everybody respected about him. Does every single move work out the way you want it to? No, but his motivations could never be questioned in terms of, in terms of the rationale behind his decisions. And I think that's what uh, everyone respected the most about him. Yeah. And, and we live in a day and age, Mike, now where especially people from my generation and, and those beneath me, it's all about, look at what I did. Uh, look, give me credit for this. Uh, I, I need to feel v- vindicated uh, for anything. Not even if you had any skin in the game, if you're just making, you know, content or whatever, Hey, like me, retweet me, love me. And Ted never asked for any of that. And that's what I've always respected. He was, he was the last of the dying breed in that way. And once more, another thing that I just, I feel like I I touched on this in the Packers pregame show uh, before the game against the Buccaneers. One thing that always gets lost with Ted is people talk about, he didn't sign enough free agents, but, and I said this to James Jones and I meant this, Mike, you show me, from 2005 to 2017, how many instances there were of a Packers player who earned his contract with the team, played well, and the Packers at some point, because of clerical issues or whatnot, they had to release them because it just it, it wasn't going to work out with the cap. The way that Ted led and how he kept a balanced budget. Now, I, a lot of the credit, too, goes to Russ Ball for being able to negotiate these deals and get everything working. But if Tremont Williams signed a five-year contract with the Green Bay Packers, he knew he was going to get that five-year contract if he played well. Ryan Pickett, all these guys, Jordy Nelson, they took care of their own. It's one thing to sign him. It's one thing to put out that press release, and everybody's really happy about it. You have a press conference, and it's it's a joyous occasion. But if the bill comes due in a couple of years and you can't afford it, no one ever really talks about the fact that that's actually a human being there that is going to have to go find new work and is going to have to find a way to get the rest of that money. That never happened with Ted. If a guy earned the contract and he played well on the contract, he saw the end of that contract. Clay Matthews, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And I think he needs to get some more credit for that. He did sign some free agents. 
Ryan Pickett, Charles Woodson, who's going to probably be in the Hall of Fame here in a week. Julius Peppers. There was a list there, but they also did such a good job of drafting guys and taking care of those players. Needs to get a little bit more credit for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I would uh, I, I would certainly agree. Any personal memories that you have, just a personal story that you want to share, any interaction with Ted that comes to mind? I have one that a story I've told before in Insider Inbox, so I will tell it again, but I will let you go first. There is a few. I, I, I joked about this in Inbox too. I wasn't in that circle of trust. John Snyder always likes to talk about the circle of trust. Oh, we're in the circle of trust here, right? I was never <laughs> in that with Ted, uh, but I got to cover him at the Press Gazette and I got to cover him here uh, for two and a half years with, with the Green Bay Packers. And I, the couple things that the one story I really always appreciate is if you, if you ever interviewed Ted in the building, 95 times out of 96, he always had a cup of coffee on him. <laughs> and I remember sitting down with him in 16 uh, for what was going to be the game or the yearbook story on him and Mike. And he comes in, he gets ready to do the interview. And he's like, hold on one second. I got to get coffee. And he left. And then it was like 10 minutes past and he comes back with the coffee and you know, you'd see him in the hallway, always filling up and stuff like that. Always very nice. There was another time too, where we were on the road. I said this story in inbox, we were on the road and it was myself, Duke Bobber and Ryan Hartwig. We were all going into an elevator and this just shows you Ted's really, really, really dry sense of humor, a very dark humor that he had. And he's on the phone with somebody and Duke, myself, and Ryan in a line, not all together, but in a line, one after another, got into the elevator. And as each of us came in, Ted goes, hi, hi, hi. And you can tell, we're like, oh, hey, Ted, how's it going? You can tell whoever he was on the phone with was like, Ted, what? What?" Because he didn't break up the conversation. He just said it. (laughs) You could tell the person was like, Ted, what's going on? And he goes, I was just saying hi. And it, it just, that was Ted Thompson. Yep, he just, Ted. he just, he had such a unique sense of humor and, and also, I mean, just a really interesting philosophy. You know, I, I, the last interview I ever did with him, Mike, it was in 17. It was up in the fourth floor, which is now Brian Gutekunst's office, the GM's office. And Ted, I walked in and Ted had everything all laid out. He had his luggage all set. He was wearing a blazer and he was about to go out scouting again right after the interview was done. And I recited this quote on Twitter. I think I might've put it in an inbox too, and you already touched on it, but he had such an insightful moment there when he was talking about the run that they had been on to that point. Again, just coming off the NFC championship game again. And he said, we are here for just such a short time. And it's important to realize that this is a special place and we are stewards of it. And when our time is up, our time is up. And there's never going to be another one like Ted Thompson. Yeah, absolutely. he was a he was a hell of a human being. Yeah. Well, I arrived here at Packers.com in 2006, basically one year into Ted Thompson's tenure as the general manager. And for about the first, I would say five to six, seven, I'm not sure exactly how many years that I was here on road trips, I happened to be the one who would sit next to Ted Thompson in the press box, which always led to some interesting moments because I would just keep, you know, when things were going bad, I would just keep my head in my computer. I wasn't going to engage in conversation or anything like that. As you know, Ted publicly could be very stoic and yeah, 
emotionless and he would, you know, always, always try to stay calm. Well, one of the games that I happened to be sitting next to Ted Thompson in the press box was Super Bowl 45 at it down in, uh, in Arlington, Texas. And I will never forget this. I will take this with me forever. Um, where that press, the, the press box is sort of above or on the corner of the one end zone, the end zone actually to the right as you're watching Super Bowl 45 or any games yeah. from Dallas on television. That was the end zone where Ben Roethlisberger went back to pass and got his arm hit by Howard Green when he was trying to go deep down the sideline, right? And so we had a very good view of what was going on. And as soon as Roethlisberger's arm was hit and that ball started to flutter into the air down the field, Ted actually started to stand up in his, you know, from his seat in the press box. And he was saying, that's our ball. That's our ball. As Nick Collins was swooping over to intercept it. And then, as you know, Collins weaves his way through and actually gets a touchdown and gets a pick six right down in front of us. And, te- and, and then, you know, Ted, knowing that there's decorum in the press box, obviously he was, he was restraining himself quite well, but then as he went to sit back down, I put out my fist like this and he sat down and gave me a little fist bump and, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll never forget that. And obviously the Packers end up winning that game by the fourth quarter, Ted Thompson was gone, not sitting next to me anymore because he had to be ready to go down on the field for the trophy celebration and all that. If the Packers were going to hang on and win, which they did, but, uh, um, but you don't see, you don't see Ted Thompson break any sort of decorum publicly at all. And for that brief moment, yeah. when that ball was in the air towards Nick Collins, he did, but yet he gathered himself and, uh, and he and I shared a little fist bump there on, on an iconic play in Packers history. So I will always, um, I will always certainly remember that. I want to throw some questions at you though, just to have a little fun here and yep. celebrating his legacy. We all know Aaron Rodgers was his best draft pick. Charles Woodson was his best free agent signing. There's no debating, you know, any of that. So we won't go down that road, but I want to ask you a couple of things. One, we saw Ted Thompson select a heck of a lot of really, really good football players in the second round of the NFL draft. So I want to ask you, who do you think was his best second round draft? Jordy Nelson. And I love the story that Brian Gutekunst said uh, when he was talking to the media about Ted last week, because everybody always talks about that first round deal about all the Packers. Rogers has never thrown any first round picks before. Mercedes Lewis is the only first round pick that's ever caught a touchdown, whatever that BS is. Gutekunst had such an interesting story and some of you might've already heard it, but I'm going to recite it if you haven't where Ted would bury players. He really liked on the draft board. You think Ted Thompson played things close to the vest with the media. He did it with his own scouts. (laughs) If there were a few guys he really liked, he wouldn't let on with the scouts because he didn't want that getting out to an agent, getting out whoever. And it was funny. Gutekunst recited a story where that was the first player that he was able to peg that Ted really liked that he didn't maybe have him where he would think you'd have him on a draft board. Okay. Cause he mentioned how, you know, they were sitting in a meeting together and he's like, man, this guy's really good. This can, this can, you know, Kansas state guy's really good. And Ted was just poker face the entire time. So not only this tells you Ted Thompson, the GM, just what kind of guy this guy was, not only was he going to draft Jordy Nelson, they could have probably got him in the first round. Ted decides to trade back and get him in the second round. So the reason I like that story, one, Jordy Nelson was a fantastic player. 
and ended up having a big part, big part in their Super Bowl championship in 2010. But he also was the first round pick that no one wants to give the Packers credit for because Ted Thompson would have taken him, but he moved back, got the extra draft equity yeah. in the second round of the 2008 draft, and then was able to uh, still get the player that he wanted. So for that reason, I'm going to say Jordy Nelson. Yeah, trading back six spots, if I remember right, from 30 to 36 to get uh, to get Jordy Nelson near the top of the second round. With you picking Nelson, you left me with a tough call because now I don't know. Um, there, there are so many to choose from here, as we all know. But it's really hard for me to decide between Nick Collins and Devontae Adams. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, I probably should have taken one of the two, but I wanted to say that Nelson. No, story you needed so to bad. tell the Nelson story and that's okay. And, <laughs> and, and to say that, you know, and not to take anything away from Greg Jennings being a second round pick uh, back in 2006 as well, but finding Nick Collins at Bethune Cookman, um, you know, small school, historically black college, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, at the time that Nick Collins was drafted, everybody's like, who is this guy, you know, and I actually tried to press Ted on that once when I had a one on one interview with him for a yearbook story similar to the, you know, what you were describing before when you were going to sit down in his office. And he and he was like, oh, everybody, everybody knew who Nick Collins was. We didn't find we didn't find anybody special there. And it's like, well, I'm I'm not so sure. When you listen to um, Gutekunst talk about that, too. I mean, it was that was Ted's guy. I mean, he yeah, he really yeah, liked he pe- him. He, pe- he pegged Nick Collins and he got him. He got him in the second round. And a couple of years ago, I probably would have for sure said Nick Collins over Devontae Adams if I had to rank them. But now with where Devontae Adams is yeah. in his career, second round pick in 2014, and, uh, you know, looking like he, he, uh, he could go down, he, he could end up surpassing. He's already surpassed many Packers players in terms of what he's done in the postseason, and he's going to just continue to climb the ranks of, um, of uh, a long list of great all-time Packers wide receivers. So it's a tough call for me to pick between those two. And it probably is, if you talk about pound-for-pound pound value of the draft choice, it probably is Devontae. Because he got him, I think, at what, 53, I think, in the 2014 NFL draft. Sounds right. If you look at the picks around him, there were some, they, there were a lot of misses at the yeah. receiver position. Yeah. Uh, and Ted Thompson, the Packers personnel department, they found Devontae Adams. Here's a guy who, you know, he came out of Fresno State, had a prolific run, but was still really young. He was an early entrant into the draft. And as it turned out, has become a five tool player at the receiver position literally can do it all. And has been the gift that keeps giving for the Packers offense. Yeah. And, and Collins, you know, unfortunately we all know about the neck injury that cut his career, cut his career short, excuse me. And uh, you know, you'll, you'll always wonder, I'll always wonder if Nick Collins was potentially headed to a, to a pro football hall of fame career, if he hadn't had to retire as soon as he did. All right. My next question, I have two more best value pick and we'll define value pick in this instance as what would be in the modern day draft construction as a third day draft pick. And I know who you're going to say, but I'm going to let you go first. It's the greatest value pick arguably in modern NFL history. Very much Uh, so. David Bakhtiari. Uh, This is something Mike where couple things to this one, you find a franchise left tackle, you find a five time all pro in the fourth round, 109th <laughs> overall or whatever it was, right. You already had yourself a pretty good day at the office, but two, 
there were so many tackles that were taken that year. There were so many offensive linemen that were taken that year. Um, you think of Luke Jokel was the second overall pick in the 13 draft. Yeah. Eric Fisher's gone on to have a fine career with Kansas City, but David Bakhtiari and also Taron Armstead are the two best, in my opinion, out of that draft. And they were taken in the third and fourth round. It just right. shows you uh, with all the assets that people put into the left tackle position, the blind side, blocking your quarterback, the Packers went and found a guy they really liked, a guy that some scouts thought might end up being a center in the National Football League, didn't think he was big enough. Oh, and then, and then by the way, Bakhtiari has to play that position from jump street. He has to come in. <laughs> he looks like he's going to end up being the starting right tackle. And then in that same family, family night scrimmage where he finally gets into the starting lineup, well, now he's over at left tackle in the weeks that follow because Brian Balaga tore his ACL. Right. Uh, a remarkable value pick. In my opinion, I mean, it obviously has to be Aaron Rodgers for his best pick ever. But when you factor in that he was taken in the fourth round and the fact that he probably is headed to the Pro Football Hall of Fame if he keeps on this trajectory, David Bakhtiari is right there as far as number two or number three. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, to continue the discussion and to pick somebody else... Again, I'm still deciding between two. I, there, there's, there's an argument for staying on the offensive line and saying that Josh Sitton, a fourth-round pick out of Central Florida, who went on to multiple Pro Bowl and All-Pro honors at the guard position, was a whale of a value pick in the fourth round, and there's no denying that. But to change positions a little bit, I'm going to go with his sixth, one of his sixth round picks in 2007 and say kicker Mason Crosby. Yeah, I agree. And there are a number of reasons to say this, not only because Mason Crosby has gone on to set franchise scoring records that he's putting up in the stratosphere that, you know, for a franchise that's been around for a hundred plus years now, and he's setting scoring records that nobody's ever going to touch, but also because, we see in the draft so often, Wes, the kickers get drafted with much higher picks, second round, third round, fourth round picks, and they don't work out. And you watch how these teams around the league go through these kicker carousels, you know, every, every year, every other year, they're changing kickers and trying it's to season. find the guy, yeah. exactly, trying to find the guy they can rely on to, you know, to make that 40-yard field goal in the fourth quarter or whatever the situation is. Ted Thompson found that guy in the sixth round in 2007 and other than you know one legitimate competition for his job when he was coming off of one rough year mason crosby has unequivocally been the guy around here and uh and to make a pick like that in the sixth round of the draft which is which you know the general fan base looks at as you know the afterthoughts of the draft um that to me would be probably the number two value pick in this uh, discussion behind David Bakhtiari. All right. One because other it's one. Not, just if I can say this yeah, too, it's yeah. not even just the value pick. You're absolutely right about that six round investment. F- fantastic return on investment, but it's also the fact that in 2020, even now that Ted is gone uh, with no longer with us, Mason Crosby, that that's, that's a load off the shoulder of Matt LaFleur. It's, it makes Aaron Rodgers and these players on the sideline. They're confident that this guy's going to go in there and make this kick. And I have to say this. I mean, Mason has played, you, you mentioned 2007 since that day, 224 consecutive regular season games played 
has not missed a start, has been durable, has been reliable. And with the absence of one bad season in yep. one down game has been one of the most reliable kickers in the national football league during that time. Absolutely. A fantastic pick that continues to be something that really helps the Packers to this day. All right. One more to throw at you. And this is kind of a strange question because you can define it in some different ways. So I'll okay. let you define it how you want to, but the question is, best under the radar acquisition. And what I mean by under the radar is when the guy arrived in the Packers locker room, however he arrived in green Bay, nobody gave it a second thought. Nobody yeah. knew who he was. No, it wasn't something that would make any sort of a headline on the, from the transaction wire or whatever. So what do you think best under the wire, under the radar acquisition? There's a couple good picks here. I think Ryan Grant is probably the right choice uh, just with them. They needed a running back. This guy ends up being a great uh, acquisition for them. Also, I want to say, what was that? A six round pick that they traded for him. Um, yeah. And then goes on to be a player that helps them win a Super Bowl and, and had multiple thousand yard seasons. So Ryan Grant's probably the right answer, but I want to use this question to point out one other player on the modern team that I think sometimes we don't think about this with Ted Thompson, but there were some contracts in some in some paperwork that came across Ted's desk during his final month as GM. Three of those moves, extending De or Devontae Adams, extending Corey Lindsley, and signing a former quarterback turned receiver that then became a tight end, Robert Tunyon, to the practice squad on December 4th, 2017. One of Ted's final transactions. Now I know there's a lot that goes into that scouting process and determining that, you know what, this is a guy we want to bring in and give him a shot. There's 10, 12 spots. Let's see what he has. But that move, Mike, has been something that has really helped solve a position that has been in flux for seven years for Green Bay. Finding a playmaking, touchdown catching, all around producing tight end Robert Tunyon's become that guy. And Ted Thompson was one. That was one of the last things he put his John Hancock on was that piece of paper saying, all right, let's give this kid a shot. And it's something that's really helping him to this day. Yeah. I've got a few that I want to mention here in this category. I actually already mentioned one that being Howard green from, yeah. uh, from 2010, that would, what we, that's what you would, would categorize as a, as a short term under the radar acquisition. Um, but to mention some other long-term guys, you know, in 2006, plucking Tremont Williams off of the practice <laughs> yeah. squad of the Houston Texans and bringing him to Green Bay. Nobody, I mean, Louisiana Tech, he's on undrafted on Houston's practice squad. Nobody knows who this guy is. And of course, we all know the long-term career that Tremont Williams had for the Packers. And then in 2007, two waiver wire claims that Ted Thompson made and the Packers were a little bit higher in the waiver claim order early in 2007, because in 2006, they'd only gone eight and eight. Right. So they have a chance at, I hope at John's watching claims. right now. Yes. John Kuhn being one of them um, had earned a super bowl ring as a practice squad member of the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2005. And in 2007, he is on the waiver wire and Ted Thompson brings him in. He goes on to multiple Pro Bowl, all pro honors of his own as a fullback becomes a cult hero, the name chanting and everything in Lambeau Field. Love it all. I love everything about John Kuhn's career. And the guy that Aaron Rodgers often said when he was playing with him, not only were they very good friends, but said, if there's anybody who knows this offense as well as I do, 
from an X's and O's standpoint, it's John Kuhn. Yeah. And the other one I will mention too, it doesn't rank quite as high as someone like Tremont Williams or John Kuhn, but in 2007, there was a waiver. I mean, actually this might've been 2006 now that I think about it. Um, but Jarrett Bush was claimed oh, off six. waivers yeah. uh, in, in 2006. Now, Jared Bush had his ups and downs on defense when he was forced into action in the secondary and whatnot, but he became a special teams stalwart and a standout for a number of years in that phase for the Packers. And then, you know what, when he was pushed into action in Super Bowl 45, the guy gets an interception of Ben Roethlisberger to help the Packers win that Super Bowl in the Ted Thompson era. So those are, those are the under the radar things that happen that build successful championship franchises. And I just wanted to touch on a few of those as well before we sign off. One thing I got to mention too, I think you're seeing the value of a Jared Bush in this particular era of football, especially a guy that was consistent, a good gunner on special teams, did a lot of real good things there, but also with six defensive back packages becoming prevalent, you need guys like that that can come in and know every position. I remember talking to, to Joe Witt, him mentioning back in the day that Jared, if they needed to him, he could play dime linebacker. He understood the calls there. There's a huge value to that. And also just to close on this, never being too proud to bring a player back. Uh, Matt Flynn came back in 13. The Packers don't have one of their biggest moments of the Aaron Rodgers era. Uh, Him making that pass to Randall Cobb as you know, John Kuhn blocks Julius Peppers. If they don't bring in Matt Flynn midseason and he ends up helping them win a couple games and tie another one, uh, that was critical to the season. So there were so many small moves along the way that the, the, the little tiny things that a GM needs to do that Ted and his staff were always so good at doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed this discussion, Wes. I hope you have too. And certainly uh, our thoughts and prayers with Ted Thompson's family and friends, um, but uh, but a life to be celebrated, certainly. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team moving forward in the offseason on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.